This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Justine Lee, and I'm a board-certified emergency critical care specialist and toxicologist. Thanks for joining us today. We're going to be talking about lumps, bumps, and potentially cancerous masses with Dr. Sue Edinger, who's a veterinary oncologist. We'll be right back after these messages. We'd like to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Pretty Litter. A bag of Pretty Litter weighs four pounds, and it's really lightweight. Most litter weighs between 20 to 40 pounds. It's also long-lasting. One bag of Pretty Litter lasts an entire month for one cat. It's also got built-in health monitoring. It keeps tabs on your cat's health by changing color if it detects potential health issues. For example, Pretty Litter may turn green or blue if it notices a high urinary pH, which can lead to bladder crystals and stone formation. If Pretty Litter turns purple or red, it may indicate that there's blood in there. And this can oftentimes be a sign of bladder stones, crystals, bladder inflammation, or even a urinary tract infection. If you notice an unusual color, when in doubt, consult with your veterinarian to find out what's going on. We'll want to get a sterile urine sample, but it could be a helpful indicator by keeping tab on your cat's health. Pretty Litter also has microcrystals that absorb the urine and odor, so it's got amazing odor control. Also, it's easy maintenance. All you have to do is scoop the poop. No more clumping. Pretty Litter is delivered straight to your door every month with free shipping, so it's hassle-free and convenient. Go to prettylittercats.com slash ervet and use the promo code ervet for 20% off your first subscription order. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. We're really excited to have Dr. Sue Edinger, who's a board-certified internal medicine specialist in the area of oncology. She's also known as Dr. Cancer Vet. Dr. Sue, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. So I know you have a website at drsuecancervet.com, and you're also the founder of See Something, Do Something, Why Wait Aspirate. So I was wondering if you could just give us a little bit of background about yourself, where you practice, a little bit about your training, and what made you go into the field of oncology or cancer? Great. Well, again, I'm super excited to be here. I am, as you mentioned, a cancer specialist. I am currently practicing in the metro New York area. I just recently switched practices last fall, but I'm in Norwalk, Connecticut, but you know, very accessible, like I said, in the metro New York area. I've been a cancer specialist, oh, for quite a while now, you know, 15 plus years. And, you know, the thing is, most people think what I do is depressing. You know, people often when I tell them I'm a cancer specialist, they get really sad and concerned and they say, oh, that must be the hardest job. You poison dogs and cats with chemo. And, you know, I really love what I do. And it's one of the reasons that I became a cancer specialist because dogs and cats that have cancer, they can definitely live longer and live well. And they tolerate treatment so much better than people 
people. And so again, it's just been really exciting for me to be a cancer specialist and have the opportunity to help families go through this really dark, scary time and give them different options and hope and that sort of thing. And can you tell us what See Something, Do Something, Why Wait Ash Rate is? Yeah, so this is a program that, you know, actually came out of one of my personally and professionally a, a mistake. And, you know, once you've been a veterinarian for a while, you're definitely going to have these cases where you sit back and you're like, oh, what could I have done better? But, you know, a bunch of years ago, one of my head oncology nurses, the dog was smoky and he was a 10 year old white pity. And I'm pretty sure, Justine, that I know you have a strong affection for pitbulls. And Smokey had a bunch of lipomas, which are those benign fatty tumors under the skin. He had had about 10 over the two years that I was taking care of him. And Amanda, his mom, found another lump. And, you know, we said, oh, we'll just get to it when we get to it. He's He was at work about once a week. And so we finally did the aspirate. And you know, it was about a three inch or about a seven and a half centimeter mass on the side of his body on his flank. And um, we finally did an aspirin and I stuck a needle in it and it was not another benign fatty tumor. It turned out to be a malignant aggressive tumor that required a really big surgery. And so Smokey was the inspiration for this program where I realized that there are too many vets, including myself, that don't know when we should be aspirating the mass because there really has not been good guidelines in the veterinary textbooks and journals. The old guideline said if the mass is bothering a dog or cat, irritating them, growing or changing in size or appearance that we should do something. But no one knows, like, should that be there for a week, a month, six months? You know, should it be the size of a penny? Should it be the size of a golf ball? And so we came up with these guidelines to really give both pet owners and veterinary professionals a standard of care. So you're ready for the simple, simple guidelines? Go for it. Okay. If the mass is the size of a pea, and been there a month, we are recommending that pet owners bring their dogs and cats to the veterinarian to do a simple test called an aspirate. And basically an aspirate is where you and I would stick a needle into the mass and collect some cells, put them on a microscope slide, and then look at them under the microscope or send them to the lab so we can figure out if it's a benign mass or a malignant mass, and then we can make some better recommendations. So again, we're really, really encouraging very early detection because early detection can save lives. So the reason we came up with a pea is that's about the size of a centimeter, and that will allow us, especially in small dogs and cats, or if you have a tumor over the face or down near the paw, that we'll be able to remove it with nice, big, clean margins, a nice large rim of tissue around the cancer and hopefully get all of the cancer cells out in that first surgery. So I know as an emergency critical care specialist, I oftentimes will have pet owners come in to the emergency room in the middle of the night because all of a sudden they notice that a mass has suddenly grown on their dog or their cat. And most of the time it's dogs. If you're working in an emergency room, should we be doing these aspirates or what are some of the causes that we would worry about a mass suddenly being discovered or suddenly developing? Yeah, so it's a great question. So, you know, most of the time these lumps and bumps are not a reason to go to the emergency clinic, right? Because, you know, if you notice one, and again, a lot of people are like, oh my God, now I'm so worried. The good news is in both dogs and cats, only about 20 to 40% of those lumps and bumps are malignant. So 60 to 80% are benign. But the reason that you might see one on emergency is if it's 
suddenly swollen up. And that could be something we see with mast cell tumors or if it's bleeding. And then sometimes if we're letting these tumors get too big, they get infected and then they're oozing and they're making a mess. So that would definitely probably be the reason that we're seeing them in the ER clinic. But again, finding a lump or bump you know, today or over the weekend does not warrant that you go to the emergency clinic. I would call your primary care general practitioner, get in next week, especially if it's been there over a month and is the size of a pea. And just for, you know, in case you're a sugar person, a pea is also, I've measured a lot of items in the last couple of years looking for one centimeter items. Both M&Ms and Skittles are also the size of a centimeter. So again, if you have those size mass and they've been there a month, you should get to your vet, you know, in the next week or so for the aspirate. But not all of us need to run to the emergency clinic just because we found a bump today. Great. And I would just reiterate, if your dog's acting fine or your cat's acting fine, they're eating and drinking, they're breathing comfortably, then honestly, totally fine to wait to see your general veterinarian, just like Dr. Sue said. But if your dog stops eating, if they collapse, if they start vomiting, if you notice that their gums are pale, then definitely come into the ER because sometimes we can see internal bleeding or bleeding into a joint or a mass-like area um, that can cause a problem. So when in doubt, if you're absolutely concerned, you can go to the vet, but most of these, you're right, are not emergencies. Now, Dr. Sue, I do sometimes see people coming in because it's the weekend or it's a long holiday weekend and they're petting their dog under the neck or near the collar area, and all of a sudden they notice a bunch of lumps. And this is really frustrating because it oftentimes is a diagnosis of cancer that we're making just on physical exam, something called lymphoma. And I was wondering if you could give us a little more information about this. Yeah, so that's a great one. And I'm glad you brought that up because I was, that was one of my things that I wanted to bring up. So lymphoma is a cancer that we see, you know, it's one of the more common cancers in dogs. It's similar to non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in people. And it's a cancer of one of our immune system cells. So it's a cancer of the immune system. And you're exactly right. Most of the time owners are petting their dogs and they feel these lumps and bumps underneath their neck, sometimes by their shoulder or behind their knees and their back legs. And and so that is one that, you know, if you feel these lumps or bumps, and especially if the dog's not feeling well, they're tired, they're eating, they're vomiting, then that would be a reason for me if you feel those lumps in, your, in the dog to go to the emergency clinic. If not, if the dog is still feeling well, because half the dogs with lymphoma are completely no symptoms. So they have no symptoms when they have this very aggressive cancer. That would be one that, again, call your vet on Monday and get in, you know, Monday or Tuesday and have those lymph nodes aspirated to confirm whether it's lymphoma. The problem with lymphoma and the scary part about lymphoma is, you know, it is a rapidly progressive cancer and without treatment, and this is the hard part to hear, most dogs will only live about a month. That's crazy. The good news is, is that, as I alluded to in the beginning, is that dogs tolerate chemotherapy very well. And if you treat your dog with a good chemotherapy protocol, you can increase the survival times to over a a year. So a year doesn't sound like a long time, especially if it's your own pet. But I think when you put that into comparison with one month versus a year, it is a really long period of time. And as you know, you know, dogs and cats don't live as long as people do. So a year is a pretty good period of time when you consider that, you know, depending on the size of the dog, dogs live anywhere from maybe 10 to 15 years. So I know this is uh, 
radio interview mostly about emergency and we don't treat a lot of emergency cases with chemotherapy, but can you just talk to us about the difference between the diagnosis of lymphoma and treating it with just prednisone versus doing chemotherapy? What is the cost difference? How frequent are the vet visits? Um, and if you could just explain that a little bit more for owners who are even thinking about pursuing chemotherapy. And the only reason why I ask this is because oftentimes I'm making the diagnosis of lymphoma or cancer on a Friday. We may not get the aspirate results because we have to send them out to a laboratory. We may not get the result back till Wednesday of the following week. And oftentimes I'm talking to pet owners about whether or not to start that prednisone or whether or not to do other tests. So if you can give us a little information on that, that'd be really helpful. Yeah. So, you know, I would hope that if you sent out your cytology on a Friday that we would, you know, often you can stat your cytology results. So you can ask for the lab to kind of put those to the top of the pile. So hopefully we might get those results back Monday or Tuesday. But so prednisone are steroids. And the cool thing about the good thing about steroids is they actually kill lymphoma cells. So if an owner absolutely decides against chemotherapy, I do recommend that they go on steroids. Instead of that one month average survival, we can see about two to three months and their lymph nodes will get smaller. The problem is steroids, the prednisone, will not give you that long duration as it does when you combine with chemo. The other bad thing about steroids is studies have shown if you start steroids before chemotherapy, it can make the chemotherapy that I'm giving less effective. So I always tell owners, absolutely, until you have 100% decided against chemo, do not give steroids. And one of the things, and I'm sure you have seen this as well, is a lot of owners originally will say no, and then they go home and they do some reading, they talk to a cancer specialist, they maybe talk to their general practitioner, and they change their mind. So, and the other thing is if you start steroids, some of the other tests that we may need to do, like flow to figure out which of the lymphomas it is and where else in the body it is, aren't going to be accurate. So I would in general recommend that you not get, you know, prednisone from the emer from the emergency clinic until you have a diagnosis and you have made your decision. If the dog's not eating, because a lot of the times when I lecture, you know, general practitioners will say, well, what do I do if the dog's not eating? Can I start steroids? I would say try something else like maybe Serenia and, you know, or that new appetite stimulant entice. There are other ways that we can try to encourage this dog to eat rather than the steroids. Finally, my other other tip is if the dog is having difficulty breathing because those lymph nodes around the neck are starting to press, you know, on the trachea and things like that, or the dog is having a crisis, absolutely, I tell emergency doctors and general practitioners, it's okay to use steroids in those cases. But I really want us to think twice before we're giving steroids to a dog that's eating, feeling great, maybe just a little bit of a picky appetite with big lymph nodes. Thank you for bringing that up and clarifying it. I think the most important thing that pet owners and veterinarians need to take away is while steroids are relatively inexpensive, we want to make sure that we have the diagnosis just to make sure we don't affect the response to chemotherapy. Yeah. And you had asked that and I didn't get to it, but you're right. So steroids are, you know, very, very inexpensive and chemotherapy, depending on the size of the dog, because chemo cost is associated to how much drug they actually get. So, you know, a big Rottweiler is going to be much more expensive to treat than, you know, a little Chihuahua or something like that. But, you know, chemo can cost thousands of dollars over a period of five or six months. And prednisone is going to cost dollars in comparison. But I think we just want to give the owner the opportunity to really think about chemo. And there are less expensive chemotherapy options as well that, you know, an oncologist can walk the owner through. And again, if I had a dime for 
every time a veterinarian called me and told me the owner will 100% never give chemo and how many times the owner changes their mind, not because I convinced them, just because, you know, you're in shock when you find out your pet has cancer and it's really scary and it's really overwhelming and you just really need to give them the chance to make an informed decision. All right. Now, another important thing I think pet owners need to know about chemotherapy is sometimes you will rarely see some side effects. And so oftentimes I'm seeing cases that are undergoing chemotherapy with their veterinary oncologist or their veterinarian. And sometimes they'll come into the emergency room from some of the side effects. They have vomiting or diarrhea. And thankfully, most of these guys do not need to be hospitalized. But do you mind just talking about some of the biggest side effects of chemotherapy? I think pet owners oftentimes will think, gosh, all the hair is going to fall out. They're going to get really sick. And do you mind just talking a little bit about some of the side effects that dogs and cats can show from chemo? Yeah. So one of the things that is surprising to most pet owners and actually was really surprising to me during my internship at Animal Medical Center in New York City is that cats tolerate chemo better than dogs and dogs and cats are better than people. But, you know, we think cats are fragile and small and they won't handle chemo. But so there's three main categories of side effects that we can see. The first one is hair loss. And luckily, dogs and cats, unless they are a breed like Scotties and Westies and Old English Sheepdogs, some of the terrier breeds. So if your dog has a continuously growing hair coat, it could lose a little bit more hair. Poodles. But most dogs undergoing chemo will not lose their hair coat. Cats may temporarily lose their whiskers, but their hair coat will remain the same. So, and those are aesthetic, you know, it doesn't change the way the dog or the cat feels about themselves, but not the main ones that voters may drive to the emergency clinic. The other two categories, as you mentioned, the first one's gastrointestinal. So they may lose their appetite for the first couple of days after chemo. They may get some mild vomiting or diarrhea. And again, that usually occurs within the first week after chemo. The good news is most of the time it's going to be mild. 80% of dogs and cats have no side effects. And all of my chemotherapy patients go home with nausea medications, a probiotic, and diarrhea medication. So most of the time we can have the owners give those medications at home, be very proactive instead of reactive. And then hopefully that will, you know, they'll get on top of the side effects and then they won't need to go to the emergency clinic. Occasionally you'll have a dog or cat who vomits maybe five or six times in a day and they are going to need to see you because they're getting dehydrated. They're starting to feel punky and you, you're probably going to keep them overnight, you know, for fluids and some supportive care. Again, the good news is only 5% of dogs and cats will require hospitalization from chemotherapy side effects. So it's pretty uncommon. And then the final, so we talked about hair loss, pretty uncommon, talked about vomiting, diarrhea, and loss of appetite, usually mild. And then the last one is a low white blood cell count. And again, that's a direct side effect from chemo hurting those white blood cells. It's temporary. Most dogs, if they have it, they will rebound within a day or two, but they are at risk for infection. So we will check their white blood cell count, but if they if it does get dangerously low, they may end up in the hospital for a day or two on fluids because they are at risk for a systemic infection. But again, I don't want people to you know listen to this and think, oh my God, these pets are getting so, so sick. It's less than 5% of the pets are going to require hospitalization. So it's pretty uncommon when you look at dogs and cats that are getting chemo. Great information from Dr. Sue, our veterinary oncologist. We'll continue with our topic that's really important, talking about lumps and bumps and whether or not we need to aspirate that at our veterinarian or when we need to go to the emergency vet. Let's talk about how to accessorize your pet's life. 
If you're celebrating an upcoming birthday or adoption day for your four-legged friend, deck out your party with new Molly and Bandit pet party accessories. This is a great line of party products that are designed specifically for your dog or cat. They're wearables for your pups, including adjustable party hats, bow ties, and tutus. The photo prop kits include funny glasses and hats, so this will be perfect if your pet is popular on Instagram. Check out all the great pet party products, again, at mollyandbanditpetparty.com slash petlife. We're talking to Dr. Sue Edinger, a veterinary oncologist. Now, Dr. Sue, one last question I wanted to talk about. What are some of the top three or five mistakes that you see pet owners having about misconceptions about lumps or bumps or chemotherapy when it comes to our dogs and cats? Yeah, so great questions. I think the first one is, you know, sort of the philosophy that we can just keep an eye on it and that, you know, it doesn't look like cancer, it doesn't feel like cancer. And I always, you know, tell everybody, you can't snap a picture and put it on my Facebook page or text me a picture of a lump or bump. I can't look at a mass, you can't look at a mass and know whether it's benign or malignant. So it's really important that we're going to our primary care veterinarian and having them do that aspirate again with the guidelines if it's size of a pea or an M&M or a Skittle and has been there a month. So again, you know, the big mistake I think is that we think, well, it's been there a while. It's not a big deal. Recently, I just saw a dog that actually had a heart-based tumor. And when I saw it, it had four lumps, skin masses. It was a boxer. And mom was a human doctor. And she said, oh, they've been there for years. And you know what? They all looked the same. Three of them were mast cell tumors. And the fourth one was a benign fatty tumor. And they all looked exactly the same. So again, that big mistake that it doesn't look like cancer, doesn't feel like cancer, or that it's been there a while. That doesn't really tell us what it is. The second mistake that I think that we make is being scared of cancer. And we all are scared of cancer, you know, and I think a lot of it is just from watching the news or reading the paper, where we'll see that some famous person died of cancer. So we automatically think cancer kills. But I really encourage people to think of cancer as a chronic disease, like heart disease, like kidney disease. I've had dogs that have come in recently, you know, in the last couple of years with cancer that has spread to the lungs, spread to the abdomen. And some of these dogs can be on chronic chemotherapy. And I'm not exaggerating. One, two, three, four plus years. And we may not cure them of their cancer, but we can control their cancer and they can have a great quality of life while on chemo. And then I think another big myth and misconception is that, you know, that pets are poisoned by chemotherapy. And again, we kind of talked about it earlier in the podcast, but, you know, it's really important and worth repeating that 80% of dogs and cats don't have side effects. I have dogs in the middle of their chemotherapy protocol doing agility, you know, running on the beach, going for five mile hike. So I'm not saying that every day is a normal day. You know, there may be some days where they're a little bit tired and a little bit picky, but most of the owners who decide to treat their pets with chemotherapy are very pleased that they do. And they look back and go, yep, they had more good days than bad days. And I'm so happy that I made that decision. Great information. The last thing I wanted to ask is what about cats? Cats rarely seem to get these lumps and bumps. Do you mind just giving us a little bit of information of what the top three most common causes of lumps and bumps are? And again, if your cat is not showing any signs, totally fine to wait to go to your general veterinarian to get it aspirated. But if your cat is showing signs of lethargy or hiding, and all of a sudden you notice a lump, definitely get to the ER. But Dr. Sue, what are some of the top causes of some of these lumps in cats? 
Yeah, so definitely this is one of the times where we will say cats are not small dogs, right? So we see a lot more lipomas, which are those benign fatty tumors in dogs, and they're pretty rare in cats. In general, the statistics are similar in the percentage of benign versus malignant, so still about 20 to 40% of cat skin and subcutaneous, so under the skin tumors are malignant, but they're a little bit different. For example, in dogs, skin melanoma tends to be benign, but in dogs, they tend to be malignant. In dogs, mast cell tumors tend to be more aggressive, and in cats, they tend to be more benign. So again, they're the opposite of dogs. We do see some other skin tumors like um, something called a basal cell tumor in cats, and those can usually have a really good prognosis if we find them small and do surgery. We also can see something called squamous cell carcinoma, which is a malignant cancer. But again, the key is finding these tumors early and then removing them because, and this is one of the big take-home messages for dogs and cats, that most skin and subcutaneous tumors can be cured with surgery alone if we find them when they're small. So again, the cats are a little bit different than dogs, but they can still have a great prognosis if we can identify them, get them to the vet, find out what they are, and then remove them if needed. Sadly, one of the most hated types of cancers that I end up seeing in the ER is actually squamous cell carcinoma. And this is a really aggressive oral mass that grows in the mouth. And it's really hard because most cat owners aren't looking in the mouth. So when I see it in the ER, it's often a cat that hasn't been eating for a few days, that's drooling, that's losing weight. And it's frustrating because by the time I diagnose it on oral exam, there's oftentimes only a one month survival. Do you mind just telling us a little bit more information about squamous cell in cats? Yeah. And there, you know, I took a big sigh because I, I hate those. I hate squamous cell carcinoma in cats. And the reason I do is it's one that we haven't made a ton of progress probably since I've been a resident almost, you know, geez, you know, 18 years ago, but it is a malignant cancer of the lining, you know, the mucous membranes of the mouth. It's common to see them either, you know, they can invade into the jawbone, so they can be pretty painful. They can involve the tongue. And the reason they're frustrating is we typically don't find them early, just like you said, you know, where surgery is going to be able to remove them because they're too big and too invasive. Radiation has not been shown to be a benefit and chemotherapy has not been shown to be a benefit. I did see a study recently that's still in trials where maybe there's some, you know, possibility of some new therapy to try. But in general, I see typical, you know, three-month survival times regardless of how we treat them. What I think is most important for those cats, and you'll, you know, I'm sure you'll agree is pain management. So making sure they're on good pain medication because it's so hard for us as veterinarians and pet owners to tell if our pets are painful and also nutritional support, right? So a lot of these cats don't want to eat. And the word feeding tube is really scary, but a lot of the times the great thing about putting a feeding tube in a cat with a mouth tumor is then you don't, you can actually medicate them through the tube and you're not trying to push liquid or pills, you know, down their painful throat. So for really for cats with squamous cell carcinoma, we, what we call palliative support. We're trying to keep the cat comfortable. We're trying to keep their nutrition and their caloric intake up and really just trying to make sure that they're as comfortable as possible and really getting the calories that they need. 
my own 19 year old cat was diagnosed with it. And I ended up keeping my cat on a pain medication called buprenorphine. And I ended up feeding my cat a really high calorie, really palatable prescription canned food. But it is really frustrating. I literally only got about four to five weeks, but I was able to spoil my cat in the meantime. So again, if you do notice any of these clinical signs of drooling, losing weight, really bad breath, not being able to close the mouth or licking their lips a lot, when in doubt, get to the veterinarian or the emergency veterinarian right away. Because like Dr. Sue said, the sooner we diagnose it, the sooner we can do something about it. Can I just add one thing? So I think weight loss is really hard, especially in our own pets. And I, you know, this comes from my own kitty who lost about three pounds, uh, probably about a quarter of his body weight when he was first diagnosed with inflammatory bowel disease. And when we're with our pets every day, it's really hard to notice these changes in weight. And it took my mother-in-law coming into town to say, Jeter looks really skinny. So, you know, that is one of the things that I think is really important about going to the vet even twice a year and when they're middle age to older is checking their weight or weighing them at home if you can, because weight loss is really hard to tell. So I think it's one that creeps up on a lot of us as pet owners. And this comes from me, you know, again, having a hard time seeing it in my own cat. So I think weight loss is one that it's okay if you're just not sure, just pop in your vet and say, hey, can we pop my cat on the scale? I'm concerned they're losing weight because I think that's a hard one for us to tell. Great point. I actually weighed my cats, both my cats once a month, and I put it on my Google calendar to repeat once Love a month, it. just so yeah, just so I could weigh my cats, especially as they were getting older. So my general recommendation is once your cats over 10, 11, 12, it's worth putting this on your calendar. So you remember to do it. Your veterinarian is always happy to have you bring your cat in to weigh him. And literally, I've just, you know, carry my cat to the scale, weigh him while I was holding him and then weigh myself. And really important that you track it. And that's actually how I noticed that my cat was starting to lose weight. And so again, it's really hard to actually observe that weight loss while you're living with them. So easy step you can do to help preserve your pet's quality of life. And the other thing that I recommend to do monthly, so while you're weighing your pet, is to feel them, is do a monthly lump and bump check. And again, put it on your calendar. You know, I would love to have like little pee stickers. Our mascot for the program is Hope the Pee, because I want finding cancer early to be hopeful. So again, when you're weighing your cat, you know, or, you know, checking in once a month, when you're giving your heartworm preventative or your flea preventative, is to do a quick exam and feel your dog and cat for lumps and bumps, because we're with our pets way more than our vets. And it's just a great opportunity to, you know, give them a massage and make sure they don't have anything that needs to be checked out. Great information. I think the biggest thing, as Dr. Sue is mentioning, is early detection saves lives. So help save your dog and cat and preserve their quality of life and help diagnose cancer early so we can do something about it. And again, do that monthly massage just to make sure that you're picking up on abnormal lumps and bumps. Well, that brings us to the end of today's show. Dr. Sue Edinger, thank you so much for taking the time to be on ER Vet today. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Again, go to drsuecancervet.com to find more information, or you can also check out her Facebook page, Dr. Sue Cancer Vet. Find her on Twitter at Dr. Sue Cancer Vet, and she also has a YouTube channel, so definitely make sure to tune into that. You can also find me at drjustinelee.com, on Facebook at Dr. Justine Lee, or email me any of your pet questions at drjustine at petliferadio.com. With that, we're out of time, and we just wanted to give another huge thank you to Dr. Sue Edinger and our producer, Mark Winter, for making this show possible. See you at the next episode. Let's Talk Pets. 
every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.